This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. To go back to it and see a place that was lost, that had so many memories as a child, it was uh, incredibly emotional. And I didn't really expect it to be that way. When I got off the river, and I remember that night kind of laying in bed, it was an understanding of things will not be the same as you go through your life. And to see it in its gone state, not underwater, but the river's there, but it's not the same, that affected me a lot moving forward. In a good way, shaped a lot of my uh, decisions. Also, how I communicate about places that we all love and want to keep around. Today's episode comes from our contributing host, Samara Rosen. Last month, Samara produced an episode the Last River Lost, telling the story of river guides who worked to save what they loved, the Stanislaus River in California, and how that river was lost. This episode is a deeper dive into what river guides learned from that experience and how they implemented their new knowledge to protect other rivers. Please welcome River Radius contributing host, Samara Rosen. This episode comes to you from a recent companion episode called The Last River Lost. In The Last River Lost, we dove into the decade-long battle attempting to save the Stanislaus River. The Stanislaus is a northern central California river that had an incredibly popular whitewater stretch back in the 70s. Around that same time, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was building a dam called New Malones just below the beloved whitewater stretch. People who knew what was to be lost, most commonly river guides, organized for over a decade. First, they tried to stop the dam from being built, and when that didn't work, tried to prevent the reservoir from being filled to full capacity. When New Melona's Dam was completed and filled, the reservoir drowned the most beloved whitewater stretch in California. The loss of the river impacted people who had a relationship with it, and this companion episode explores the relationship that several individuals had with the Stanislaus and how they leveraged that relationship and lessons learned into change-making tactics for other rivers, namely the American, which is about an hour and a half north of the Stanislaus River. You don't need to listen to The Last River Lost to understand this episode. They simply complement each other. This episode has three sections. The significance of learning the human history of rivers. How river trips can ground grassroots organizing work in connection to place and community. And why river trips are an effective means of inspiring paddlers to write letters to their representatives. These methods are all inspired by the relationships with and lessons learned from the Stanislaus River. Be forewarned, two of our guests are named Scott and each own rafting companies that operate on the South Fork of the American River. Our first interview takes place with Scott Armstrong at his company All Outdoors in Lotus, California. We sit down at a splintery table on the banks of the American. While we talk, guides rig their boats and carry or wheel them down to the water. Geese fly overhead, and we chat about how education impacts owners, guides, and clients. Would you introduce yourself, what you do, and where we are? My name is Scott Armstrong, and my family owns All Outdoors California Whitewater Rafting, and we've been rafting as a family since the early 60s. And we're in Coloma, California, on the banks of the South Fork of the American River. And what is your relationship to the Stanislaus River? My family had a cabin my grandfather built in the 40s that was on one of the forks of the Stanislaus. So that whole area was the South Fork of the Stanislaus. And then we rafted on the main Stanislaus on a section called Camp 9, That was sort of my home in my childhood. I fell in love with 
the canyon, exploring it. And I always looked at a river trip as this great adventure to find all these neat things like side creeks, swimming holes, caves to go in, and the Stanislaus had all of that. The rafting was a really neat vehicle to be able to transport people to get them into this canyon that was the treasure chest of things to see. So I had about six or eight years of enjoying it as a child on family trips and then another five or six years as a guide. And every guest that went on a trip, yes, they'd see an incredible place. They'd have a great whitewater trip. Most of the trips were all multi-days, but they also got educated on the issues by the guides. And uh, we were turning our guests into activists. So fast forward a little bit. New Malonas, were you involved in that campaign at all? Malonas Reservoir was first built in probably the 40s or early 50s. And then when they wanted to expand it and make new Malonas Reservoir, increasing the size of the dam, that would then inundate the nine-mile section that we were rafting on. My father, who first went on the Stanislaus as his first river trip in 62, met one individual that had a commercial company started in 62 named Bryce Whitmore. And uh, my dad worked with Bryce on bringing legislators down the Stanislaus because it was already threatened at that point. So for the next 10 years, the campaign to stop them from flooding the Stanislaus Canyon wasn't so much to not build the dam because the dam was already being built. It was just not to fill it to full capacity. So when I was guiding as a teenager, there was a campaign put forth by a bunch of river guides that were in the early 20s to stop the filling of the canyon. So I was exposed at a young age thinking all 20-somethings pick some major thing to be activists about and go and try to make a difference. And the way that we did that was exposing people to the river. Ultimately, it lost and the reservoir was flooded, but that passion for that river has affected how we approach all the rivers that haven't been flooded by reservoirs or how we keep them in their condition. So the Stanislaus has been a huge influence for 40 years on not just me, but the whole river community. Today's episode is sponsored by the Denver area Nissan dealers. Right now I'm driving my Nissan Frontier long bed four-door truck with a camper shell. We're on a 6% grade climbing uphill, three dudes in the truck, bed full of gear, pulling a trailer with three boats stacked, all the gear. And we are just climbing. This Frontier has a nine speed transmission, super smooth, uphill shifting, real steady climbing. Roads are slick, trucks holding great. It's just really comfortable, safe, strong boating truck. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com. Our sponsor today is Over at Raft Covers. This raft cover is built with a heavy-duty woven poly fabric that is UV-stabilized and blocks 98% of UV light. This cover is breathable and does not flap around in the wind. It is water permeable, so rain and snow does not puddle up on top of it, and it self-heals. If you poke a hole in it, the woven fabric can be massaged back to whole. I use this Over at Raft Cover on my boats on my trailer right now, and I am so glad to have this product. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your Over at Raft cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to Over at Raft covers. When I was 21, the Stanislaus uh, was inundated by Malonis Reservoir. 
Then about seven or eight years later, the water in the reservoir receded enough that we could raft the Stanislaus again. When I went back for the first time, as we went down these nine miles, the beginning few miles were not that, they were different, but it was still really pretty uh, because the reservoir had not inundated that section very much. But then the last half had been underwater for nine or 10 years. And just seeing all of these trees that I remember the tree when it was alive, and then I just saw the skeleton of it. And I remember the beaches in areas that were covered up by debris and silt and just the unrecognizable river but to go back to it and see a place that was lost that had so many memories as a child it was uh incredibly emotional it was and i didn't really expect it to be that way when i got off the river and i remember that night kind of laying in bed it was it was an understanding of things will not be the same as you go through your life and to see it in its gone state, not underwater, but in its, the river's there, but it's not the same. That affected me a lot moving forward and in a good way shaped a lot of my uh, decisions. Also how I communicate about places that we all love and want to keep around. Would you tell me some of the decisions that you as an owner have made to support the relationship to the river of guides, of clients? From the very beginning, we were involved with letter writing campaigns with Friends of the River that was started from that campaign. My father was on the board of Friends of the River. I'm on the board of Friends of the River. Anytime there's been issues, not with that river, but any of the other rivers, the Tuolumne River, uh, there was a dam proposed on that. that We've been involved with that campaign. The South Fork and the Middle Fork in America, North Fork America have all had dams were being proposed that would inundate those canyons. So it's always just been in a, a fabric of our company to not necessarily lead the fight. That I mean, Our job is to take the public rafting, but it's to assist the people that are leading the fight to stop it. And we play a big role in getting the public out there. When I, was, when I first started um, guiding when I was 15, I thought we'd do it for about 10 years because every river that we operated on, there was a dam proposed downstream that was going to inundate the river that we were rafting on. So I never thought it was a long-term thing because I just thought they were all going to be gone. 50 years later, one of them was gone, which was the Stanislaus. All the others have been preserved because the efforts of those people leading that fight and us assisting them have been able to uh, keep these rivers in their natural state. Our role as a rafting company owner or as a guide is to share the resource in a way that makes the public a enjoy it appreciate it and also be aware of the conservation aspect of that river let's hone in on what we're doing at all outdoors long-term activism has to come through guides we have many many guides that come to us when they're 18 or 19 and their plan in college is major x but then after rafting and working as a guide it'll turn to recreation management conservation science something that has to do with the environment and people's interaction in the environment and how to preserve it like it seems so obvious like when your your life revolves around a river and like the river is your center of joy your center of community your center of livelihood how could you not fall in love with it 
I think you can fall in love with it, but unless you understand the threat to it, mm. you just fall in love with it. Mm. My role with guides is to just make sure they understand it's not by accident. Unfortunately, a lot of rafting guides and even owners have not been around for a campaign to preserve a river that they are rafting on. They just think it'll always be here. And when you say that it seems a no-brainer to appreciate it, that's true, but to understand the preciousness of it, that takes education. Let's talk a little bit about what you or what All Outdoors does to support guides in understanding the threats. What we'll try to do is once a guide comes in, over the two or three years as a guide starts out, we have to give them information that they need to know to be able to feel comfortable guiding a raft and communicating with their guests. In that, I will also pepper in times where we'll have conservation talks or the history of certain rivers. And one of the things that I do is there's a book called Cadillac Desert that is the most comprehensive book written on the way people and our U.S. government managed and tried to harness all the rivers in the West. And it is a book that shows the pluses and minuses of that process and how it's affecting us today. The reason I have them read it is that I want them to understand all the different factors that make it such that they can float down a river. And you have it as a financial incentive, don't you? I do, yes. They they get paid a certain amount each day if they read that book. And then every year after that, if they turn in some information that will be helpful to them or other staff, it's called an education bonus. And the reason I do it is I look at it, you can either be a whitewater guide or you can be a guide. And a guide takes the opportunity to guide people, not just down the river, but also in their thought process. And you just got to be able to read the room. I try to educate our staff on information they should know personally, and then how they can figure out when best to communicate it to the guests that they're taking rafting. Educational bonuses are one way that you do that. What are some of the other methods you have? Friends of the River was able to, and working with myself and some other outfitters, we would create social events once a week or once every two weeks during the summer season that guides could come and meet people from the local community. Each outfitter would uh, rotate around sponsoring it, and there'd be meals, there'd be social time, and there'd be an education topic. It started off with very, very few guides coming, and then after three or four years, there's 50, 60, 70 guides at it. It was a huge, huge success. Unfortunately, when COVID happened, the program had to stop. But uh, that was a great way to bring the community together and to help guides understand they're part of a bigger picture, not just river recreation, but river conservation. What impacts did you see from that program? I thought that there was a lot of aha moments. They became a lot more appreciative of what they have. And I'd say almost kind of uh, humbled in a lot of ways that they were able to think, oh, I'm riding the coattails of a lot of decisions, a lot of effort by people over the years to keep it. And it's my responsibility to share this with people and get them to become activists. I do have to wonder, what does it really take to create a transformative experience with a place like a River Canyon? Not necessarily giving your opinion of what should happen to the canyon or not, because you have no idea who you're going to have in your boat. 
if you approach it from a historical standpoint of we're on this river and this was going to be a reservoir if there was a dam say proposed downstream from it it was stopped and educating the individuals on what could have happened to a place that resonates i tell our guides just start peppering in the story from the very beginning mention something about why we have a, a certain river and it's preserved just start mentioning little tidbits of it so by the end of the day they know there were decisions made whether they agree with them or not that preserved a place that helps them understand this isn't by accident people have made choices to keep it in its natural state or they or at other times they made choices to change it and and um, flood a canyon it reminds me of when you're asking a question that you say my friend wants to know. I really like that because if you talk about the history of it, then it's not as loaded. Everybody likes to learn about what's happened. Educating somebody on the past can help influence their thought process on the future. Even though most of the decisions are made I wouldn't say necessarily behind closed doors isn't the way to put it, but it is through the legislative process and whether a river will be flooded. It's the public awareness. And even the legislators and politicians making those decisions, having the public have input, letter writing, any sort of contact they have with those, that's made a big difference. And when we've been able to show the politicians are making decisions that affect these rivers that we operate on, that the public's going to know, and there's ramifications. And I think with when taking the public on a rafting trip, you only have them for a short period of time. Because it is such a short period of time, what I would want the person to walk away from their trip, be it a one-day, two-day, three-day, five-day trip, is to have an appreciation for a place and understand that there's not that many of those types of places left, Wilderness River Canyon. And for them to know in the future, if they hear of that place and there's a threat to that place, they'll know what would be lost. But I think most of the time they're going to go back to their lives. You change their perspective, the trips change their perspective. And the hopes is that the information you gave them gets them to make a different decision down the road when they hear of some environmental movement. The next section of this episode features a nonprofit called Friends of the River. Friends of the River is a California-focused nonprofit that protects and restores California rivers by influencing public policy and inspiring citizen action. They run a river activist leadership initiative where they train change makers in river policy and technical whitewater skills. To learn more about the training, I first met with their executive director, Jan Dorman, and then attended the training itself. Jan, would you introduce yourself and a little bit of your background? My name's Jan Dorman. I am currently the executive director and chair of the board of directors of Friends of the River. Would you talk about your path? I was a guide on the Stanislaus River in the mid-70s. And so that was the beginning of about eight to ten years of being a river guide on the Stanislaus, the American, and then uh, rivers in Idaho. Traveled in the winter, skied, ran rivers in the summer, 
And then at one point, I was sitting in the dust trying to fix my own brakes next to a gas station. I'm like, I have got to go to graduate school. <laughs> so I did, and I ended up having a career in healthcare. When I retired from my role as an executive in the healthcare system, um, I had been on the board of Friends of the River for the prior 10 years. Shortly after I retired, we needed an executive director like the next morning. And I'm like, I'll do that. I know, <laughs> I know how to run things. <laughs> and I have just been all in. I think I've been able to bring what I've learned from being a river guide and what I've learned from the healthcare industry to the environmental struggles and to introduce us to Friends of the River, what is the mission? Where are you located? Who do you work with? Who do you work for? So Friends of the River was born in 1973 around the struggle to save the Stanislaus and still is the only statewide river advocacy organization in California. While the struggle to save the Stanislaus was lost, no other major dams have been built in California since then. And Friends of the River is not the only, but a really important reason why that has not happened. What is the mission of FOR? The mission of Friends of the River is to protect and restore the rivers of California by influencing public policy and inspiring citizen action. Friends of the River works on the policy side, which is not about legislation. It's about regulation, holding the state, the industry, and the public water infrastructure to the law and science that exists. And then we also engage in trying to improve the laws and regulations that govern the use of that water. But we need a bigger army to work on this. We need more people who have the passion and the knowledge and the skill to truly influence the policy and the regulators and the decision makers and the communities that can really make a difference in the decisions that are being made for California rivers. So now let's talk about the River Activism Leadership Initiative Let's define what it is and how it prepares activists with the passion, the tenacity, and the knowledge to create that leverage. We're starting a new class of river activists, teaching people um, river skills and overlaying that with technical policy and history, organizing skills. Friends of the River has a rich history of bringing many, many, many people to the river and helping those people connect and love the river. And that was necessary but is no longer sufficient to drive change. We want people who are influencers and activists to experience the river, but we're not running an outfitter operation to just take anyone who wants to go. Um, so there's many people who we would like to help provide access because 
it powers their activism. There's the whole environmental justice community that really has difficulty getting access to these elitist rafting activities. Tribal and indigenous people, legislators, young people in the water industry. There's an important target audience for these experiences that we need to engage. It's just not the public. I think Martin Luther King said, Love without power cannot achieve justice. It will take power to make change. In order to aggregate power in the face of tremendous economic and political power, it will take leadership, not just awareness and love. So FOR's focus is on building the ranks of that leadership to drive change in a focused way with specific objectives. Today's episode is sponsored by Over It Raft Covers. Right now, my boats are inflated sitting on a trailer and they are covered with a raft cover from Over It Raft Covers. This is my first season using this cover and it is so much better than the ridiculous plastic tarps I used and destroyed for years. This Over It Raft Cover is perfectly shaped for my boat, it has slots for the oar towers, and it has solid D-rings sewn on to secure this to the trailer or to a raft. These covers are designed and sold by Kevin, a river runner who likes to keep his boat well protected and ready to go on the trailer. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS for free shipping on your Over It Raft Cover. That is RIVERRADIUS, one word, lowercase. Use the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree to get right to Over It Raft Covers. Hey folks, this is Sam. Right now I'm driving a 2023 Nissan Rogue up a river canyon. Here we go, we're going to do some passing. This car is really strong and smooth with its transmission. It feels very powerful, very safe, and very steady. Easy to drive, handles great. Has a small footprint in the lane, and yet it really feels like a big car. It's got big windows. I was driving it yesterday with four big guys. It handled the load great. It handled the space of us really well. This is the kind of car you can put your boats on the roof. You can load the back hatch with lots of river gear. The other thing I've noticed about this car is that it has an incredible turning radius. You can find your Denver area Nissan dealers online at www.nissanusa.com. After meeting with Jan, I drove to a campground called Camp Lotus to attend Friends of the Rivers River Activist Leadership Initiative training. Picture a grassy campsite with an outdoor kitchen, tents, and clotheslines heavy with wetsuits and splash tops. Nearby, kids play frisbee, families sing happy birthday, and several hundred yards away, the American flows by. My orientation to the training begins with the engagement manager, Amy Stroud. Uh, Let's start by saying uh, your name and your role with Friends of the River. My name is Amy Stroud, and I am a part-time engagement manager. Creating citizen activists to help us spread the word about saving rivers. I hope they walk away with a love of the river, the skills, and the passion to protect it. To take that back to their organization where they work. Uh, We have water policy professionals. We've got a guy who works in the Stanislaus County, bringing back the Tuolumne, creating more campsites that were flooded out, planting trees, 
And we're doing that by teaching whitewater guiding skills, as well as advocacy and policy information, combining the two, which is unique. And it's a result of the Stand campaign, trying to save the Stanislaus River. Could you speak more explicitly around what that connection is? The individuals who started FOR, they didn't just write signs. They figured out who the legislator was. They figured out who was paying for that dam and realized that they needed to influence those individuals as well. So they did a lot of research, got lawyers. Some of them became environmental lawyers. And that's the policy aspect of this. Ron Stork, who you're going to hear from later, is the guru of policy. Shortly after I chat with Amy, Jan calls the group together for Ron Stork's talk. Ron is Friends of the Rivers senior policy advocate and has been working with rivers and water policy for several decades. The trainees finish washing their dinner dishes and scoot their folding chairs into a tight circle to hear Ron give the evening's policy talk. Well, uh, the first story that I, I, I felt moved to talk about was a bit of a switch at Friends of the River. Because, you know, we got started on the Stan campaign, and then we did a little bit of FERC World on the North Fork Stan. And um, then the big successful effort was the breaking the logjam on wild and scenic rivers getting through the Congress with the Tuolumne, 1984. There's lots of stories about that, too, because, and I can tell some of them, because I was there. After Ron finishes the evening policy talk, several trainees linger around him with questions. Others prep their river gear for tomorrow morning and disappear into their tents for the night. The next morning, after breakfast and dishes, the group gathers around a small whiteboard and two instructors. Uh, my name's Colton Johnson. This is Tim Lasco. We're going to be going over advanced hydraulics today. In the past couple of days, we've learned basic hydraulics. So today we're going to learn about catching eddies, using eddies to um, modify our momentum or using them for uh, river navigation. And then we're going to go into lateral waves and holes and how to navigate around them and utilize them. Say you're coming down here and you want to change your angle sticking your guide stick into that eddy but not your boat you'll see how fast it'll turn your boat it'll move you without you doing a lot of work so that's yeah i did that yesterday and it immediately changed the angle of the boat and slowed us down like it was awesome with zero effort it was just boom and it was just like yeah you know depending on where you're trying to go in the river you can use the river's features to help you move across the river After the hydraulics lesson, trainees scramble together gear and shuttles. The next few hours are spent rigging boats, rotating through paddle captaining, and experimenting with creative lines through Class 3 rapids. At this point in the training, the group has several days of guide school under their belts and are looking forward to opportunities to develop their skills. From the outside, it looks like any other guide school. There's laughing, encouragement, getting stuck on rocks, and a culture of learning together. I had the opportunity to chat with several of the trainees about their experience. Here, they talk about how the specific combination of river policy and technical boating skills furthers their work in river conservation and water policy. My name is Stan Dodson. I'm one of the trainees uh, in the Friends of the River Guide Activist Training. And what have you been learning as part of the Guide Activist Training? 
we do some classroom at camp and learn about hydrology and eddies and some of the technical uh, off-river things to have a good grasp on before we get out in the water. Uh, And then every day we've been out on the river with really experienced guide trainers, you know, getting time on the stick and learning how to navigate whitewater. We tend to have more like whitewater lessons in the morning, and then we get out on the river and try to apply those skills. And then um, after dinner, uh, we sit around the campfire and um, talk about policy and talk about kind of the history of Friends of the River. Um, You know, they've been around for 50 years now, so... You know, there's been a, a lot of big wins in there, and so it's really great to learn from both some of the challenges that they face, but also really learn from, from the wins. And they, they have so many just super experienced people in policy, and that it's just, it's really inspiring to just hear their stories and, and have an opportunity to ask some questions. Are there things that you have learned in this training that you anticipate taking into your regular day-to-day life? Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely getting a lot of education just on water policy and issue. Um, I'm pretty familiar with some of the issues, like on my local rivers, the Tuolumne River, the Stanislaus River. There's some fights there still right now um, that I learned a lot about last night, you know, talking with Ron Stork. So it's inspiring, and, and I want to learn about my local rivers that I have, like, you know, a special love affair with um, because they're part of my home. My name is Keiko Mertz, and I'm the policy director of Friends of the River. I'm here because I've been wanting to have guide training since 2015, and I get to be part of this awesome community of people interested in environmental activism and share the skills that I have. Tell me about this training. So the first weekend I thought was really, really awesome. We learned about the power of storytelling in activism, Our executive director, Jan, was teaching us about this researcher named Marshall Gans, who is one of the brains behind Cesar Chavez, and his framework, story of me, story of us, story of now. And the idea behind it is you, you know, when you're connecting with somebody, you tell the story of you, some background about yourself, and kind of the moment that you were called to make change. Um, Story of us is how that relates to everyone. And then story of now is what is the problem right now and how are we the ones who can solve it? And so it's kind of a tool that an activist can have in their back pocket when somebody asks, why do you care so much about rivers? Well, (laughs) I'm ready to answer this question. Do you think that this training has adjusted or like nuanced your understanding of rivers in any way? Yeah. I mean, that's the short of it, but maybe the second time I ever went rafting was with this group of folks when I was in college, led by some instructors, and they had this term that has stuck with me, and it makes me chuckle every time I hear it. I've never heard anyone else say it other than this kind of bubble, and it's the river taketh. And it's really about, you know, funny things like if you don't carabiner your bottle correctly, the river taketh, or if you don't have your croquis, the river taketh. But I guess when it comes to like language of the river, to me, that's like a metaphor for life. Like you can plan everything how you want. You can try to pick your line. And sometimes the river does what it wants to. Um, For me, that's tied into like how rivers are ever changing. 
So you're in the policy world. Why blend rafting and policy? People care about what they get to experience. And so people who have experienced, maybe they saw a tiger at a zoo. They have this connection to that thing because they got to see it and experience it. I believe that makes people care more. I feel like rafting and being on the river is a way of kind of building community and also reconnecting people to nature and the landscape. I am kind of in this little bubble where I'm in my office and reading environmental documents and sending comment letters to the state legislature. And it's been really remarkable to me seeing how many People are here giving their time, giving their skills because they care so much. And I didn't even know this group of people existed in our network. And I think, you know, another reason we're here is not only to get those skills, but also to build this community. So there's 20 other people who love rivers and care about the environment that I can now connect with and continue to learn from. Several miles downstream of Friends of the Rivers training is Motherload River Center where I meet with our last guest on today's episode, Scott Underwood. A ceiling fan whirs above us as we settle into couches and talk about the lasting impacts of loving the Stanislaus River. I'm Scott Underwood. I guess I like to think of myself as a river conservationist. Right now we're recording on the banks of the South Fork American. Would you tell us a little bit about the company that you run? The company is currently named Mother Load River Center. But I began actually as Scott Free River Expeditions, and that was a company I began in 1974 when I was a freshman medical student at Davis. Would you talk about the intention of this company? When I first started boating, uh, the Stanislaus River was uh, the most popular river on the West Coast, and I got a chance to train on it and enjoy it, and of course became very attached to it, and then became aware that we were losing it to the New Malonis Reservoir. That's the reason I started the company, was to write letters to try to fight back against that process that helped save the Santa's loss, and just kind of went on from there. You must have had a first exposure to letter writing on the river. Do you remember what that was like? The fellow that I was trained by was named Tom Foster, and he was head of the UC Davis Outdoor Adventure Program. I saw a poster for river rafting, and it was a guide school, and I signed up immediately. And Tom actually, as I recall, was the first person to introduce me to letter writing. At the time, it seemed kind of odd. You know, I wasn't really sure what to think of it. But as I became more attached to the Stan and other rivers, the more it made sense. So fast forward just a little bit. When did you have the idea for scot-free rafting? I think about uh, an hour after I first went down the river. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So medical school for me... I had a lot of, we'd use the term bandwidth in those first two years to spend energy on other things. And I devoted that to the company and to river conservation and something I really cared about. I also felt like this was something that had to be done now. I mean, if I didn't act, then I was going to regret that. I didn't have an option in my mind just to stand by and watch it happen. Was Scott Free Rafting, does it have the same mission as Motherload does? Motherload has the same mission as Scott Free did. Scott Free is the original company. And then over time, through a variety of different circumstances, we acquired Motherload. We were writing perhaps 300 letters a year as Scott Free. As Motherload, we wrote 5,000 letters a year. Let's talk about letter writing. How did that work? Oh, Friends of the River began the process of letter writing. I don't know where the little 
wooden boards came from. <laughs> but somehow we came up with this idea of, of little boards are about the size of a letter. You put those in a, in a Tupperware container, and that kept it dry. You took paper and pencils and pens and so on. And then you'd have some kind of uh, general information sheet, and you'd have a sample letter, so they wouldn't necessarily have to make one up. But we certainly hoped that they would. When I was doing it with Scott Fried, what I found was I would evangelize to my fellow medical students about how this river was being destroyed, and they, you know, they should do something about it or write a letter or whatever. And they were busy being medical students and so on, and, and I never got anywhere with that. But I took people on the river, and we would stop at lunch, and 100% of them would write a letter. That was the point at which I really got it. They're not going to write it after they leave. They're not going to write it before they come. It happened in the presence of that experience. And so that's what we've always done. We've always been advocating in the place, and uh, that's worked. Thinking about the letter writing kits that Mother Load has now, mm-hmm. what do those look like? We have all those same elements in our letter writing kits today. What campaigns do you talk about season to season that you've wrote letters on behalf of? Of course, on the Three Forks of the American, the the Auburn Dam was the North and Middle Fork. We wrote letters on this river uh, in part because we helped defeat the SOFAR project, which was a dam essentially a troublemaker up to the put-in, and then from Folsom Lake that would have backed it up to here. This one was the Tuolumne. That was a huge deal. It won. The Kern, King's. Uh, the Sespe, never probably heard of the Sespe, but it's down next to Santa Barbara. We helped get Cache Creek into the state wild and scenic system. In fact, we got a letter from, and I can't remember his name, but the, the fellow who wrote the legislation. Uh, you know, okay, okay, we've got it. You know, we stop sending the letters. Um, <laughs> and we'd only sent 300 letters. And so it just depends on, you know, kind of who, uh, who it was and the, at, and the timing. The rivers that I know we had an effect on it include, for instance, the McCallamy. Uh We wrote a 1,000 letters to someone who was determined to vote against state well incident for the McCallamy. He changed his vote. We were very important in the process of getting the alternative proposal for flows on the American uh, accepted by the SMUD board, and, and that actually we got attributed that by the head of the SMUD board. So we know that. But a lot of the time, we don't know what effect we have. Uh, we do it because we think it's the right thing. But we have a whole list. There are 15. And of those, I'm certain we had an effect in five. I'm not so sure about the rest. How many letters per year? Or how many letters total? Well, I know we've written over 30,000. Now, one of our practices has been we Xerox the original letter, which is you know environmentally terrible, but we do it anyway. And we keep those Xerox copies. And I have a stack probably a foot high of, of letters that we've written over the years. Those are kind of fun. Because you can go back and look at what people said. And to some extent, it helps us convince our staff that this is real. And how do you support guides to do this well? Well, starting with guide school, that's part of the guide training. We talk about the process. We talk about the history of it. And then if you're, as many people are, come in from outside and you're not actually someone who went through our guide training program, then you're going to learn through some kind of training of that kind. And then the most important thing is that I insist that it be done. There are a lot of good reasons and excuses not to do it. Some people feel uncomfortable about it because they have to speak publicly. Some folks feel like it's not really right, that they're trying to influence people's political behavior. Other people think it's going to diminish their tips. Lots of good reasons I hear for not doing it. (laughs) 
the, the letter writing talk starts with nobody has to participate in this. Uh, the problem is that if I had 100 years to do this, which I guess I have been doing at about 50, and the rivers weren't imminently threatened, then I'd say, hmm, okay, you know. But there are 24 companies on the software of the American today. None of them write letters except us. So how is this going to get done? Is it going to get done when these people wake up in the middle of the night, have an epiphany, and call their, you know. None of that happens, right? So these people have lots of other choices. We are not the largest company on the river, <laughs> nor we're the only choice. Uh, we're certainly not the cheapest, and people choose their river company for lots of reasons. Some of us choose us for who we are, but mostly they choose us because we do a phenomenal river trip, and then there just happens to be this additional benefit. So tip your hat to them. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to write a letter, uh, but you know you should recognize that this isn't here just passively because it is. It's here because somebody fought for it. Do you have the opposite as well with people that specifically seek out this company because of the letter writing? Yeah, and just this last week, we actually had somebody call and say, we're uh, it was some sort of nonprofit, but basically we've chosen you because we know that you advocate for rivers and so on. And why letters? Like there's so many different ways to get involved. What's the benefit? For one thing, it's been demonstrated to be effective. There was a pollster that used to work for Bill Center. And his take was that a handwritten letter was the equivalent of a thousand signatures on a petition and a hundred phone calls or emails. Now, could you back that up? I honestly don't know, but you know, it sounds like a good number to me and I love it. So that's one of the reasons we do it is that it's effective. Uh, we know that from people that we know who've actually worked for different senators. And what they say is that when they get a handwritten letter, that's something that's special because they have to open it. Often, if it's properly written, they have to respond to it. And they're just rare. Are there other ways? Absolutely. Can I ask if you would be willing to give a letter writing pitch? Well, sure. Why don't we talk about uh, this river? Okay. So, you know, this river has a very interesting history. Before I let you hear Scott's letter writing pitch, let's set the scene. Pretend you booked a trip with Motherlode River Center on the gorge section of the South Fork of the American. On either side of you, hillsides glow golden in the dry heat. Dark oak and wispy gray pines speckle the hills. You practice paddling in sync with your team under the guidance of your guide. You play games in water that looks almost hazel and swim gentle sections of current. And then your guide instructs everyone to paddle to shore. Everyone gathers around a few picnic tables in the sand the guide opens a red and clear Tupperware, glances at some notes, and addresses the group. Being on the South Fork of the American, first of all, it's a very historical river. Obviously, gold was discovered here. It has a lot to do with the history of California, both good and bad. What's important to realize to me is that what you see is not necessarily what you were going to get. When you appreciate the, the experience, the beauty, and the intrigue of rafting and so on, Understand that this would have been under hundreds of feet of water, albeit for the actions of a few. People like you. People who have actually been here, enjoyed it, and then couldn't imagine seeing it destroyed. So that process uh, is something that has happened in every river in California, almost without exception. Uh, if it's here, then somebody stood up for it. This river is no exception. It's just important to understand that we stand on, on the shoulders of giants. I mean, people were here who made an effort to stop. Did they have a lot of money? 
Uh, did they do it with vast amounts of political contributions and forth? No, they were all broke pretty much. And what they had mostly in common was they really loved this place. They were connected with it. And they couldn't imagine seeing it destroyed. And if that's a feeling you have, then you should share that with your political representatives because they need to know that. And they need to know that this isn't just a wasted resource and water flowing into the sea that needs to be repurposed. Thank you. <laughs> I want to write a letter <laughs> on behalf of the American. Well, it needs it. The idea is in the process of making a decision to renege on its commitment not to take water from higher up in the river, but rather from Folsom Lake, because they'd like to divert the water from the upper reach to feed the needs of the county. But that deal was made, and that deal was made in exchange for certain things, uh, for the ability to uh, do some of the development that's already happened, as an example, out in Eldorado Hills and so on. All those beautiful homes out there were actually done with, based on a deal. And now they want to break the deal. Why? Because yeah, time's gone by and maybe they can get away with it. And are you writing letters? Yes. <laughs> A Tupperware size thank you goes out to Scott Armstrong with All Outdoors, Scott Underwood with Motherlode River Center, Jan Dorman, Amy Stroud, Ron Stork, Colton Johnson, Tim Lasco, Stan Dodson, Keiko Mertz, and all the other trainees and trainers with Friends of the River. Check out the companion episode of the guide-led campaign to protect the Stanislaus River. Additionally, you can find more resources in our show notes and on our social media page. I'm Samara Rosen. Thank you for listening to The River Radius. Samara Rosen is our contributing host today. You can find links in our show notes directly to all guests and organizations and to other relevant content for this story. Today's sponsors are Over at Raft Covers and the Denver area Nissan dealers. Use the promo code RIVERRADIUS to gain free shipping with Over at Raft Covers. There are links for Nissan and Over at Raft Covers in the show notes. All River Radius social media is organized by Samantha Sice. Our music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. So I was exposed at a young age thinking all 20-somethings pick some major thing to be activists about and go and try to make a difference. They didn't just write signs. They figured out who the legislator was and realized that they needed to influence those individuals as well. We Xerox the original letter, which is you know, environmentally terrible, but we do it anyway. They had this term that has stuck with me and it makes me chuckle every time I hear it. And it's the river taketh. And then at one point, I was sitting in the dust trying to fix my own brakes next to a gas station. I'm like, I have got to go to graduate school. (laughs) 